Welcome to She Is Your Neighbor, a show where we discuss the realities and complexities of domestic violence. This podcast is brought to you by Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region, a charitable organization in Ontario, Canada. I'm your host, Jenna Main. Join me as we talk to different people each week to learn how domestic violence impacts people from all walks of life. She is your neighbor, and we all have a role to play in ending domestic violence. This episode is called Staying in Shelter as a Teen Mom with Sarah Thielman. Sarah is an entrepreneur from New Dundee, Ontario, who runs a candle and gift company called So Rustic. In February 2021, Sarah partnered with Women's Crisis Services on a candle fundraiser. She told us about her personal experience with domestic violence, and later that year, Sarah became a member of Women's Crisis Services Board of Directors. This episode is part of our six-episode Survivor series, which focuses on the experiences of survivors of domestic violence. In this episode, Sarah opens up about her journey as a teen mom experiencing domestic violence. She explains how she stayed at our Anselm House shelter in Kitchener, and now 20 years later, she's actually a board member of Women's Crisis Services. It was really cool to hear how it was a full circle moment for Sarah when she joined the board of directors, and it was pretty awesome to hear from a board member and a former shelter resident. Now, before we get started, I'd like to note that the following episode includes a discussion of domestic violence and child abuse, which may be distressing or traumatic for some listeners. Please take care of yourself and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. I'd also like to thank Rogers for proudly sponsoring this Survivor Series. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. It's it's nice. We were just chatting earlier and saying how you're on our board of directors. So it's uh, especially exciting to have you here. So could you actually start by sharing a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So my name is Sarah. I am a business owner. I own So Rustic Candle and Gift Co. located in New Dundee. I am a mom to two boys, three-year-old and a 23-year-old. So there's a bit of a gap. And I'm sharing this crazy thing called life with my best friend, Kyle. And, you know, like pre-pandemic, we were traveling and, well, we had a baby (laughs) and uh, going places, road trips, antiquing, doing some home reno stuff. And then the world went a little crazy and we've, you know, like everyone else, been sitting here at home trying to entertain ourselves with Netflix. (laughs) Exactly. Thank God we have Netflix because that's (laughs) been getting me through. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. So again, I really appreciate having you here today. And I know you're going to share a little bit about your story with us, which I'm really looking forward to learning more about. So I wondered if you might just be able to start by sharing a little bit about your experience with domestic violence. Absolutely. So like I said, um, I'm a mom to two boys uh, with a bit of an age gap. I um, guess we'll just rewind a little bit. So before um, uh I was 15 years old and I fell in love with the guy that had the car, with the friends, the job, the freedom, you know, he said all the right things, took me to all the right places and treated me well and made me feel so grown up. And, you know, at 15, that was like a pretty big deal. Um, 
And we got pregnant twice and we miscarried twice, but the third time we didn't miscarry. And that's sort of when his tune kind of changed and he moved out of his home, his parents' home and moved into his sister's. And uh, he was very much against, you know, having a baby and, you know, we just kind of put it on the back burner. I guess we thought maybe we'd miscarry again and um, we just continued on living a life. And he became increasingly agitated and violent and obsessive with things that I did and war and where I went and who I talked to. And, uh, one, one night we went out to, a all ages event and I had gotten my hair done that day and got professional makeup done. And he was very upset that I had been, you know, looking that good going out in public. And, uh, upon returning home that night, I experienced my first ever, um, brush with with uh, assault and domestic violence he um had me pinned to the ground repeatedly kicked me in the back uh holding his hand over my nose and mouth and that moment like i remember it so 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 vividly that i go right back there when i think about it and um i remember in that moment i tried to get the attention of his sister who was sleeping at the time to come and get him off me do something help me in some aspect and she did and he you know stopped and and she she didn't do anything further um i went home to my parents the next day and i was fooled by his remorse and i went back the day following he was going to change and i believed it and why like why wouldn't i believe it at the ripe old age of 15 i believed everything so fast forward a couple months and uh he had gotten his own apartment and it, I moved in and it was very freeing. We felt like this, you know, newly married couple. And I felt like the adult that I pretended to be until he asked me, are you still pregnant? And I was, and we were at the point of no return. Um, and he be- became very angry and went back to the person that assaulted me in his sister's spare bedroom, locking me in our apartment, taking the handset of our phone with him when he went out at night you know, demanding I perform sexual acts that I wasn't comfortable with, treating me like property and not like, not like a person. And, um, you know, that was, that was scary for me. I didn't, I didn't see a way out. I didn't see a way other than to just live through it. And I did live through it, but it resulted in black eyes, fat lips, bruised cheeks. And, um, that's when I sought refuge at Anzama House and stayed for a couple of days. I managed to leave, um, went to Anzama, and then eventually I went home uh, to my parents and became a mom at 17. And uh, when our son was born, he wanted to become a father. He wanted, you know, he, he was, you know, actually overjoyed that he was going to be a dad. And the thought of his rage coming out on our son never crossed my mind. And it should have because he assaulted our four month old baby when he was in his care for less than 45 minutes. And that's, uh, you know, that's when my life completely, completely changed. And he was charged with child abuse and he got probation. And then I, on the other hand, lost custody of our son and had to live with my parents and prove to family and children's services that I was a good mom and capable of parenting. And I did. Uh, however, I, I made that happen and it wasn't an easy task. Um, with what felt like all the odds were stacked against me. It was like, it was the biggest challenge, but that was my son. And that was, that was, you know, I was, I was going to give him all of me. So 23 years later, he's the best fight I ever fought. And the road that we took to get where we are now had so many challenges. 
you know, at times it felt like doors were slammed in my face. And every time I tried to open a new one, it felt like I was going to fail, made lots of poor choices and bad decisions. And then I had an awakening of sorts. My son was going to school and I wanted to be proud of his mom, proud of our life and not embarrassed. And I wanted him to have everything that he could ever need in his life. So at that point, I went back to high school, finished and got my diploma. I went on to attend college three times. And, you know, although throughout my life, while I have had a supportive family, I've leaned on my community for guidance and support. And it's because of that that has, you know, grown me as a person and made me who I am today. And, uh, yeah, I feel like being on the board of directors now, it's, it's come full circle, completely full circle. And then sharing this story with you all. And there's lots of different layers that we won't get into, but uh, it'll take a lot more time than we have today. But that's what uh, led me to Anselma House. Thank you for sharing that, Sarah. I know it can be really difficult to share these, you know, really personal moments, but I think it's it's really powerful and it's really empowering for for women who are listening who are going through similar situations mm-hmm. and to hear how you were able to make it through. So so thank you for that. What kind of struck me about your story too is how how young you are. I think sometimes people think about domestic violence happening to older married couples. They don't think about it happening to 15-year-olds, but the reality is it, it does happen. And we know that violence can escalate when women become pregnant too. Mm-hmm. So that was another kind of interesting piece of your story. I wonder if you want to elaborate on any of those pieces a bit more. Um, I think uh, w- one thing that really stuck with me, like when I was uh, you know, writing notes of what we were going to chat about today was that rewinding back to when I was in, in the thick of that situation in my life, there wasn't the internet. I mean, there was, but it wasn't as complex as, as it is now. And there wasn't as much readily available information and resources for someone going through what I was going through. And it was, you know, there wasn't a lot of counseling agencies that were able to help someone in my situation. There weren't a lot of, there was only one option for shelter. There was only one option for, for young teen moms. There wasn't, a slew of places that I could reach out to. There was only so many, so many community services available at the time. So, you know, today there's so many resources and options and places to go and people to talk to that. I think that, you know, there is an upper hand to be had if you are facing domestic violence. Yeah, that's a good point. It's just how the resources have changed and just knowledge and understanding of what's out there too. Yeah. Um, and I know Anselma House looked a lot different at the time. It's it wasn't the same building it was today. It, no. it would have been a different, yeah, a different experience staying there altogether. So I wondered if you could share a bit more about your experience at Anselma House. I mean, it was 23 years ago. It was a bit of time, but uh, you know, I remember it was very welcoming and I, at the time I didn't want my family to know what I was going through. So I did go there first and, um, you know, sort of reach out to like, what's next for me? Like I'm now I'm pregnant. This man doesn't want to be with me. And they sort of guided me to the direction of, you know, Ontario works and St. Monica house and all the different other organizations that I leaned on to get through being, you know, a, a teen mom. They had these programs called morning munchies or we'd go every Tuesday morning and like learn about healthy eating while you're pregnant. And I connected with so many different resources from walking through one door. And that door was the door of Anselma. And I I don't quite remember like the actual experience itself of, of, you know, staying there overnight. I kind of, I think maybe sometimes when it's a, it's a memory that is entangled in so many emotions, you just sort of block it out a little bit. So I remember that 
that it was because of that connection that I was able to, to reach out to services that helped me in my parenting journey. That's great. I'm glad once you got there, you were able to get those resources and kind of help you move forward. Something else that you had talked about was just the kind of the obsessiveness and the control that was displayed in the beginning as things started to escalate and even just around what you were wearing, where you were going, that kind of thing. And I think that can be a red flag that people don't always know about in the beginning because it's not something we've talked about historically a lot. And people sometimes think physical violence is you know, the, the only type of violence, but I'm wondering if you could talk about some of these earlier, um, pieces where the control was displayed. I, I was going to say that even as of late in the last 23 years of dealing with my son's biological father, even when we weren't together, you know, going to court for child support and custody and all that fun stuff, he was still trying to control me, even though, there was no way that I was ever going back to him. Um, you know, even in our last uh, meeting at the courthouse when our son turned 18, uh, I want to say my son, actually, when he turned 18, it was it was kind of like, you know what, this is it. You can't ever, ever do anything to me again. We, we have parted ways. Our, you know, our child is of, of legal adult age now and your assistance is no longer needed. Um, so it was just... I think it was like a, like a whole lead up of him thinking I was his marionette and he was going to, you know, do what he wanted with me for as long as we were connected as biological parents to this child. Um, I, I did feel like once our son turned 18, it was like, okay, you're done. You're no longer in my life. Yeah, that makes sense. And it makes sense that the control still continued after the relationship ended, because unfortunately we know that this happens to women. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it depends on the situation. Sometimes it could turn into stalking behavior. Sometimes there's still the control through the children. Oh, he never had any contact with my son, but I will say that every time I had to have an, a meeting of sorts with him or any type of communication, I was terrified. I was terrified. Just what's he going to say? What's he going to say to me? How am I going to respond? What is that response going to be? I try to calculate, you know, come up with things to say back that were, you know, one up from, from something that he would say to me. And even, even sharing the story here on a podcast, I was a little nervous that maybe what if he hears it? And then I thought, you know what, so what? Because then he's going to see that I've come, I've come out on top. I've come out ahead and it hasn't changed me. It hasn't changed the course that I've taken. It's made me a better person. I've learned from it, grown from it. And I've, you know, helped others go through it by providing, an ear to listen and, and, and guiding people through uncomfortable, difficult situations. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm wondering what kind of led you to join the board of directors for women's crisis services. Like, I think, you know, it's so brave. You're able to get through something so traumatic at such a young age, but like you said, it's really come full circle at this point and now you're on the board. So I wonder if you could share a bit more about that. Yeah, I think that uh, connection sort of happened by way of, happenstance, I guess you would call it like it was just sort of fell in my lap at a time that I wasn't looking to help out uh, an agency, but uh, I'm really glad that I did. It, it came up in conversation around the passing of Jennifer Campbell. We did a candle fundraiser that she was so heavily involved in women's crisis services. So we rallied up some money and got a donation in her name. And then the conversation was brought to the table about, Hey, you know, 
what did you do in your, you know, your past life or how, how did you get here? And, and it, we talked about my education and my work experience. And then there's, you know, some talk about they're looking for a board member and you might be a good fit. And I sort of thought, you know, this, this could be like a really good way for me to have my story come full circle, come back to the place that I started sort of thing and, and, uh, give back to the agency that gave me so much. Yeah, it's amazing. I think it's fantastic that we're able to have survivors on the board um, who've been through this. I think it's it's a whole other level of understanding. It is. And and to have somebody, like you said, like somebody that is a survivor and not only my survivor of domestic violence, but I'm a, I'm a, a parent of a child that was a victim of child abuse. And and to, to have like a real, you know, living, breathing, walking, you know, person that's walked in those shoes on the board I thought was it something that, you know, I could bring a lot to the table and I could bring my story to light. And, you know, maybe, you know, even if one person hears my story, then my job is done, you know, and and if it helps, it helps them in, in their healing process or, you know, knowing that there's, there's more to, you know, more to come that's positive, then, then I've, I've done what I've, what I came to do. And I'm wondering what impact this experience had on your life kind of growing up in the directions it took you in. I know you have your own business now and everything, but I imagine it was quite a difficult journey to get there with everything you went through. And I, I wondered if you wanted to talk about that a bit. I think, I think like, like growing up as a, as a young mom with you know, having dealt with domestic violence and still having him be sort of a part of my life for so many years, I did put up a guard and I had a lot of trust issues And I was really insecure and I was afraid of like ridiculous things happening to me that were never going to happen. Um, But, you know, it it did lead me to going to school for social services. And then I ended up working for Ontario Works. And it was just like, again, like I, I have since helped the agencies that helped me. So it helped me. I volunteered with St. Monica House. I've I've got a talk coming up at uh, one of their other locations and you know, working with you guys and just paying it forward. I, I pay it forward in so many different ways with my business. We do a lot of charity fundraisers and we give back. And it's just sort of my way of saying thank you to the community that, that's, that raised me up. Yeah. The Jennifer Campbell fundraiser that you'd mentioned earlier was really special and she was definitely a big supporter of our organization. So, um, it was pretty amazing. You guys were able to um, work on that and, mm-hmm. and create that and then have some of the proceeds come back to us here and help other women and kids moving beyond violence. So uh, that was a, a pretty fantastic example of that. I was, I was thrilled to do that. And I was really happy. Like when I, you know, we went to the bank and we got the money out and we wrote up the checks to, to her family and to, to your organization. It was just really moving to know that, that we were able to do that for, you know, not just for one cause for multiple. Oh, exactly. What a difference it it can really make when we all kind of work together on that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also wondering, I know since you were such a young woman when you went through this experience and you were also a young mother going through this as well, I'm curious if there's any kind of words of encouragement or anything you would like to say to women going through a similar situation. I would say that, you know, if you would have told the 15 year old me that this is where I'd be right now, if, you know, fast forward 23 years, I would not, I would not have believed you. Um, but really I think what's important is to not be embarrassed of, of your, of reaching out for help, not to be embarrassed of your situation 
Um, you just never know what somebody's dealing with just walking around. You have no idea what's, what's weighing heavily on their shoulders, but, um, it reach out, lean on your community, connect with the resources, you know, one door opens so, so many. So just even, like I said, walking through one door on Selma house, it opened up so many other doors that, that helped me get, you know, got my name on housing and, you know, got connected with childcare subsidy and got myself back to school. It was just so many, so many, like the domino effect, so many things happened because of that. So just reach out, reach out to anybody that will listen, make sure you have a backup plan, not a backup plan, but like an exit strategy an emergency, emergency plan and ask for help, ask for help and don't be afraid to ask for help. And don't, if you've, if you've got that one red flag, if you've got that, that funny feeling, just go with your gut, go with your gut. You know, you can trust yourself more than you can trust anybody else. Yeah. I like what you said about the emergency plan and reaching out for help too, because I think, um, you know, a lot of people will say, why doesn't a woman just leave? Like people don't always understand all the complexities and the barriers to leaving. Right. But the other flip side of that is leaving is a really dangerous time. We know mm-hmm. that's when violence is most likely to escalate. Women are more likely to unfortunately be killed in these situations as well. Um, not to mention women in rural areas that are even higher risk because of weapons on the property. Mm-hmm. So I think there's so many different risk factors to consider too. So that's why I think it is so important to get help, make a safety plan if you're in this situation. Um, don't necessarily try and do it on your own if you can help it. Not not everyone um, is able to in the more moment access these supports, but I think that's a really important piece you highlighted there. And I think I think a lot of things, like some women might think, oh, what about my things? What about my stuff? What about my kids' toys? Like they're just things. They can be replaced. You can't be replaced. You know, or how am I going to get my kids there? Like, what about the car seats? What about the strollers? You know what? Put 20 bucks in your shoe and, you know, underneath your, the sole of your shoe and just get out, just go and you'll figure it out. You know, you're not going to get arrested for jumping in the back of a cab because you are escaping domestic violence and you don't have a car seat, right? Just go. And, 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 you know, it's, it's so very freeing once you do go and you can just take that deep breath of like, oh, I'm out, I'm out and I'm safe. Wonder if you could talk a bit more about that, what it feels like to be to be out and be safe and and maybe how that feels in contrast to what you went through. Um I'm I'm not gonna lie, like, you know, it, it's not it's not like it, it it never goes away. It's not completely freeing. Like, you know, you're you can say, Oh, you know, I feel so free doing this. I feel, you know, it's been so many years since I've been in that situation, but I I still there is a, you know, a smidge of me that is afraid of him you know, who knows? So I just, I feel like, you know, it is, it is freeing. It is like liberating. I do feel very proud of myself and all the, the obstacles I've accomplished, but there's still that teeny weeny part of me that is afraid. But then I think, no, Sarah, you're not going to let him win. You're not afraid of him. Look, look what you came through. Look what you went through. And it's not even, like I said, there's layers. There's so many things that happen because of that situation, like fighting to get custody of my son back when I didn't do anything. Um, that in itself was like the worst, the worst path I'd ever been on. And then finally getting him back and getting my own established apartment was like, wow, I did it. Look at, look what I did. And then looking back at, you know, what I have now, I, I have this successful business and, you know, I'm in, I'm helping other organizations. I just think like that part of me sometimes seems like that wasn't really me. It wasn't really my life, but it was, it really was me. 
Yeah, I think it can be jarring sometimes for people to look back because you almost feel like a different person Mm -hmm. um, in a way because so much has changed. But I think when someone takes so much from you, um, you kind of are a, a different person in a way at that time. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think for me, like having this conversation, I know I said it already, but it is it is closure. It's you know, he always said, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to amount to anything. And I think I, part of me thinks, I hope you hear this so that you know that you did not change my life in a, in a negative way. I took that negative and I made it a positive and I did that myself and I did amount to something. And this 23 year old young man, you know, you can't take any credit for that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that kind of speaks to why that this conversation is important to you. And I, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add there about why this is important to you to kind of talk about it now. Um, I think, you know, just like I said earlier, if one person hears my story or hears, you know, what I've gone through, and then it, it just, it just sparks that light for them to get help and reach out, then it, it will have been you know, worth it, worth every ounce of pain, every, every challenge, every struggle. If I, if I can help one person get through what I've gone through, if somebody, you know, hears this and then picks up the phone and calls or, or tucks that 20 bucks in their shoe so that they can catch an Uber or catch a cab or whatever, just to get to safety. If I think for me, it's just to make an impact and reach as many people as I can. And I think also for me, I I didn't get a lot of help because there wasn't a lot of resources, you know, going through life as a single parent. And uh, like, I I did have a a very supportive family, but I think moving forward, I just kind of toughed it out and sort of just grew through what I went through. And now that there's so many available organizations out there, I think people can really benefit from them. Yeah, I think so too. And so part of this project and this podcast, it's called She Is Your Neighbor, um, to emphasize the fact that it can happen to anybody in any neighborhood, no matter who you are. But the other part of that is we really want to encourage people to be good neighbors and think about what we can all do and how we can all play a role to support those going through it. So I'm wondering your thoughts on how you think we can all be better neighbors to women and kids experiencing domestic violence. I think just always have an open door policy. You know, you're always welcome at my house. If you, you know, if you're, if you're fleeing from, from domestic violence or, you know, you're, you're uncertain if your situation is going to turn into something, you know, something violent, something potentially that's going to harm yourself and your kids, you know, you show up on my porch any day, anytime I'm, my door is open and I will be as much or as little as you need me to be. I think some people think, oh, you know, I don't want my neighbors to know because they're going to be nosy and they're going to pry. But I think, you know, if you have that non judgmental, open door. I'm here for you whenever you need me. I think people will be more willing to reach out and and look for help. And I think, I think too, like, you know, when you say it's, she's your neighbor, I've got a huge following on Instagram and, and now all my followers and whoever else listens to this podcast, they're going to know. And you, you look at someone and you think there's no way they've gone through that. But now, you know, now, you know, I have now, you know, how many other people are living with this or dealing with this that haven't had an opportunity to speak out. Exactly. I think it can be easy to assume that domestic violence happens to one specific person. And Mm -hmm. we just don't even know the amount of stories that are out there and the amount of people that this affects. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that I would say to somebody that is in the thick of this is that don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, fear is, fear can be your worst enemy. Don't let fear 
um, hinder your decisions. Like you can, you can get through this and you don't need to be afraid. You are stronger than you think you are. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate you being here today and sharing this with us. You're so welcome. I'm so happy to be part of this. I'm happy to be sharing my experience and my knowledge with the board of directors. I'm, I'm honored to be on the board. It's great. And I hope that I've reached somebody that might have needed to hear this story. Oh, I think you definitely have. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. That wraps up this week's show, but the conversation is far from over. We want to hear what you think. Use the hashtag SheIsYourNeighbor on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, or Twitter and join in the conversation. We all have a role to play in ending domestic violence.